Welcome to Uncommon Sense. I'm your host, Jill Gleba, and we're talking to inspirational, common, and imperfect people just trying their best and trying to gain some uncommon sense. Blending resources for your loved ones with a disability. Trigger warning, one story is very sad. Lisa shares some incredible stories about parents taking care of their loved ones with a disability. Blending public and private resources is a challenge. Their loved ones need support services to be safe, be part of the community, live separate from their parents, and need staff support. Costs need to be considered, and let's not forget that the care be met with dignity and respect, not a stranger. What is available? How do we do this? Every path is different, so listen in for some help. Lisa and I have known each other for, we're going to just say 30 years. It's probably more. It's about 30. Um, She's the executive director of the Ark of Macomb. It's a nonprofit that provides, supports, and is advocacy for people with intellectual disabilities. She also is an attorney that focuses on special needs planning. So I guess I want to point out that you're a very hard worker because you have two jobs and you've had both those jobs since I've known you for 30 years. That so is you've true. done double duty for a long, long time. Also, I'm excited to talk to you today because out of all the people I know, you have the most compassion, you have stories, and really your whole life, you've just been helping families that have people with disabilities. And it's a whole different challenge financially, emotionally, than I'm just going to say the average person, but I don't know what average is anymore. So that's hard to say, right? Right. The more you talk to people, the more I talk to people. When we met people in our firm, the first questions we ask people is, you know, how are your parents? Are you taking care of your parents? And do you have any family members that you have to take care of that have any special disabilities or special concerns that you have to make sure that they're taken care of if something happens to you type of thing. So you're always thinking ahead. And I can't tell you how common it is. I think probably almost every person I speak to in my life knows somebody that they have to figure out or accommodate or has something going on. So there's a lot of challenges there with families. I think all families have different ways that they have to look at their future depending on whether their children are college-bound, whether their children are support-bound, whether they want to provide for their children after they're gone. I remember estate planning 101 (laughs) back at law school where the professor looked at us and said, there is no right to inherit. And I've been doing this now for 30 years, and I have yet to meet a family who doesn't worry about how to leave an inheritance and how to say, I'd like to leave something for my family member, whether they have special needs or not. So as people who are planning for their futures, we're always thinking about what are we leaving our kids? What are we going to be able to do so that our children's life is different than our life is, whatever that measure is. But when we talk about folks who interpret their environment differently or live their life differently, it's imperative to understand that a blending of public and private resources is necessary to meet a person's ongoing life needs. For example, a person with a developmental disability who's going to need support services in order to be safe, in order to be able to be part of the community, in order to live separate from their parents, someone who's going to need staffing support whenever they go into the community, 
the costs generated by that type of care and that type of support have to be considered when a family is looking at their planning for the future and looking at how they can leave their estate and looking how they can leave financial assistance to their loved one through special needs trusts and blend that with what the government provides in terms of support is imperative for anyone who's talking about someone who needs that level of care. That's what I think people don't realize is it's not, you know, I someday will pass away and I don't have any worries about my kids being able to support themselves and live independently on their own. Where someone that has a child or adult child, I don't know the term for that. We were talking about that, but they're worried about how are they going to get around and they might not be able to be independent. They might be wheelchair bound, just how they think many, many reasons. But there's more of a burden there, in my opinion, because it's not about just leaving money. It's about making sure they they have a place to live and they have a life they're used to and they're not disrupted too much because some that causes a lot of anxiety. It causes anxiety. And there's also the idea of choice, being able to live a life that is supported in a way that a family would want to have happen. I'm choosing people who work with me that I want to have work with me, not just people who are coming in off the street that I don't know. When I'm having my most intimate care needs taken care of by someone, I want them to be someone who's treating me with dignity and respect. I don't want it to be just someone who came here for a job. This needs to be someone who's going to care for me and what I need, not necessarily simply coming in for a paycheck. So how do I find that in my life and how do I address that? We had talked earlier a little bit before we started recording, and one of the conversations we had was about a lady that I talked with yesterday who told me, I want to live to be 150, because if I can't live to be 150, I don't know who's going to take care of my son. Who will make sure that all the things that he needs are where they need to be if I'm not here to do that? Right. And so that's why the planning becomes so important. Certainly financial pieces how much money do I leave? How much is appropriate? How do I protect that so that government benefits are in place for other needs? And not only that, but who is going to do those care things? Who's going to love my loved one? (laughs) Who's going to make sure that if they appreciate going to a baseball game now and then that they get to that baseball game? How can they afford to pay for that baseball game? If they can't go alone, I remember one time an individual that we supported went to a baseball game and he figured out how to get on the bus to Canada. <laughs> and we had to send we had to send staff down over to Canada to pick him up because he didn't have we don't know how he got across to Canada because he had no ID to come back to the United States. But how did he do that? And how did he, he couldn't safely navigate coming back across the border, mm-hmm. but he got into Canada. <laughs> That's hilarious. So all of those things that we worry about, who's going to worry about those things if your parents not worrying? If your sibling's not worrying, maybe a parent is worried about how a loved one with a disability is going to live their life and not being a challenge to their siblings who learned typically, who have their own children, who have their own lives. How do we set up a plan that takes care of all of those pieces? And in order to do so, planning ahead, making sure that you have your estate plan drawn up in a way that makes sure that your resources funnel appropriately not to challenge what the government might leave so that you can continue to live a life like you're used to living with your parents. Right. Making sure that the information about your loved one is written down. 
their social security number, you know, that they had to register for the draft, regardless of their ability to serve. That they do? They do. I they didn't do. know that. And that they're registered to vote if they choose to vote. Everyone has the right to do these things in the requirement. But if the situation presents itself, then what do you do if we have to say, I can't serve in the military for this reason? That's interesting. I didn't know that. But they don't know. They just see the age and they send out the request, right? They send out the request. And, you know, families will look at it and say, but my loved one can't serve because of this reason or that reason. You still have to register and then later explain why if the draft comes along. There are these things that approach or happen because our loved ones learn differently that we have to be aware of in order to make sure that they're properly supported when we can't be the one controlling the game. And it's tough because, of course, if they have siblings, you look to the sibling and think, oh, maybe they'll take care of the other family member. But maybe some of these siblings, we've talked about this, I've seen many families that the sibling is not equipped to take care of their special needs person. Or the family or the parents feel that that's not appropriate. Because it might be a lot depending on what they need. This conversation is a little vague because we, we're doing a blanket statement, but there's so many different disabilities out there. And some are physical and mental that you don't see. And when you said they need to plan ahead, I've always encouraged parents to write a whole page on just their habits and what they love to do and what they like to eat because there's just so much involved here. Well, that's actually something that I encourage folks to do as well. But I actually encourage folks to do that for their children who are minors as well. I always think back to, in my world, we do a document called a letter of intent. And a letter of intent is just basic information about the individual's social security number, their address, but it goes through conversations about what's important to them and what's important to you. And I remember before I had kids, it meant one thing to me. But after I had children, letters of intent meant something very different because I kept thinking to myself, oh, my goodness, if something happens to me, who will know that stars and circles, which were two blankets, must go everywhere (laughs) that my son went? Uh And if they didn't, life was just very challenging. If something happened to me, would anybody remember that stars and circles should go with him? So letters of intent take on a really important piece in everybody's life. How do we provide information, documentation, support to support our loved ones who might not be able to communicate as effectively as we can or who might need that help throughout life? And for those kids who are under 18 and don't talk yet or won't advocate for themselves, making sure that people know about that. Your most valuable asset, regardless of money, is your children. You're really working hard to say, this is the future I'm planning for, and these are my children, and I want them to have the best they can. So in doing so, you want to put everything in place that will allow them to get there. One of those things is the financial support that we lend through inheritance. The other thing is making sure that people who don't know them learn them as they age. Now, as our kids get older, what we expect to have happen is that they can communicate and advocate for themselves. Sometimes in some children's lives, that comes really early, and sometimes it doesn't come at all, whether it's because of an emotional impairment, a developmental disability, a mental health issue, a physical disability. And so as parents whose children don't move on typically, we want to prepare in a way that provides for them in all of those ways. And it's interesting because when that lady 
said to you, I want to live 150 years, she's thinking about, I need to outlive my child, right? Correct. Oh, yes, for sure. No doubt about it. Because, because you're just hoping that you don't have to deal with the fact that if you don't outlive your child, then you have to have things set up somewhere, somehow. And this isn't a commercial, but really, if you are listening to this and you have any type of family member that might need some special assistance is how I'll say it. You know, the ARC is in Wayne, Macomb, Oakland counties, uh, other counties too, right? All over. And they're a resource and it might be a great place to start, right? I think it's an excellent place to start. Okay. ARCs are nonprofit organizations that are different in each county, but what they all have in common is the promotion of inclusion and community for folks with intellectual and developmental disabilities and the connection of services and supports that a person needs to live their life as included in the community as they can. You know, I think back on the history of folks and how we supported them. And in my lifetime, when I first came into this world, um, group homes were the major support system for folks with disabilities. If your loved one had a disability and they couldn't live in the parent's home anymore, they would go and live in a group home. And my brother did do that. At one time, so. Now the pattern is to say group homes, some folks need them, but most people would choose to live life just like their siblings, like their parents, like everyone in the community. So how do we create a housing arrangement that provides the necessary support for a person who needs care, but they can still want to be in the community like Mm -hmm. all of their peers? And that's where we talk about that blending of resources. Privately, what can I pay for? What does the government assist with? And how does the individual live as independently and as much like everyone else as they possibly can? And that's kind of the goal now when we talk about how do we support people who learn differently. Because it would be uncomfortable for them to suddenly have to move and have a different environment and different habits and everything. Especially if you have all your support set up already from your home base. Well, and it's important to recognize that an individual may want to live separate from mom and dad, or maybe mom and dad want to set up an arrangement where their loved one stays in their own home, but without pre-planning, without thinking about financially, how do we support that, or thinking about what's available in order to make that happen, we don't necessarily have the means to achieve the objective. In the past, we talked a couple of times about different things that I've seen in my (laughs) career, And I remember when I was a baby lawyer, so that was about 30 years ago, uh, I was involved in an arrangement where a family had made an arrangement where they had an estate plan drawn up. And their idea was that their daughter with Down syndrome would grow up and live with her sister. And that was the plan. Good plan. Great plan. But in no connection to community services, they wanted that to be simply that they lived with their parent, or there was sister, I'm sorry. Just to point out, it's a burden on the sister financially, too. So. Well, and in this particular case, the situation failed because the sister developed cancer and passed away. Ugh. So the plan that the family had so carefully put in place and was in their mind going to provide supports and services to their daughter with Down syndrome. Yeah, they it, were all set, and it, now they're not. And they're not. And the other factor is, from a health perspective, Folks with disabilities live just as long lives as we do. You know, (laughs) historically, there have been disabilities where people have been told we have shorter life expectancies. 
But with improvements in medicine, we all have longer lifespans. Yes. So the same young lady's parents said, okay, sister passed away. Our hearts are broken, but our plan has to change because our daughter with Down syndrome will still need support and care. And they started planning for what that would look like. And unexpectedly, dad passed away. Mm -hmm. So now mom is taking care of daughter with Down syndrome and world is changing immensely. And financially, they're doing perfectly fine. Nice. Except that physically, mom's starting to fail too because she's developed cancer. And now we have daughter with Down syndrome and we have parent with cancer. So, oh my, they I mean, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot. And we panic. We call other, all the family throughout the country and say, hey, we're very worried. We have this daughter with Down syndrome. We know that she's going to need care. And they find a family member who's willing to come stay with them and provide care to their loved one as mom's going through cancer and mom passes away. Wait, did they find someone then? Yeah. Mom. Okay. They found someone and they a came family to the member, house? Yeah. Okay. Came, okay. Family member moved in and, and was helping mom and daughter. And mom passes away and now caretaker family member is wow. living with daughter with Down syndrome. Let's acknowledge that's quite an accomplishment right there. Right. Th- yes. Right. Because she moved across the country to do so. That's huge. Yeah. She gave up where she was living with her family, came to take care of her cousin. And it was it was a good arrangement for both. And in the course of all of this, now mom and dad are gone. Mm-hmm. So the estate administration starts and you're doing the, you know, settling tr- up, things. Settling up okay. things, paying off any creditors and getting ready to transfer assets. And individual with Down syndrome is living with caretaker from out of state. And the telephone rings and the trustee of the special needs trust says to me, you're not going to believe this, but you got to get over to the house. Caretaker passed away in the house. Unbelievable. So I drive to the house, which is now crime scene, because someone has passed away. And they so you have drive to up and they got the yellow tape. Tape and everywhere. Yeah, officers. I was going to say, walk us through that. That's, yeah. That would be scary. And you're a new lawyer, Oh, right? I'm, I'm a baby lawyer. So, I'm very so unseasoned, very unready for this. Did they let you pass the crime tape? They did. I had a little sign into this little log and <laughs> walk into the house. And the individual with Down syndrome had written a note. And it was on the door and it said, so-and-so doesn't feel well, she's sleeping. I'm in my room, come find me. Mm. So she'd put a note on the door because they'd been waiting for someone to take them to a doctor's appointment when this occurred, thankfully, because it could have been days. Oh, so someone drove up to pick her up for a doctor's appointment? And that's how they found out that she was alone. And I walked into her bedroom and I sat down with her and she looked at me and she said, I'm scared. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I said, I don't know what we're going to do either. <laughs> I have oh, no, no idea. <laughs> and she said, but my mom and dad said you would make it okay for me to stay here. I'm supposed to live here forever. Oh. And I thought, uh-oh. And I got in my car and called my husband because I didn't I would feel know the panic right now. I, I panic, feel yeah. the panic. I was shaking a little bit. And I said, can we just, can she just come stay with us for a couple of days while I figure this out? And he said, no, this is your job. And she can't come home and stay with us for a couple of days. You have to figure out what to do. So what we did was reach out to other families, other people in the community who knew this young lady and say, do you know of anyone who's looking for a job? Do you know of anyone who could stay with her for a couple of days so she can stay in her home so we don't have to interrupt where she lives so we can figure out how to get her connected to supports and services so that we can get things rolling so she's not moving around from house to house. She did have other family members who were willing to take her home, 
but she desperately didn't want to leave her home. She was very worried about that. That was, you know, in her mind, this was her house and her parents had said she could stay here forever. So that's her comfort zone. Let's face it. And it would be scary to be all by yourself and not knowing where you're going to live, et cetera. It was very worrisome. And thankfully, you know, we're reaching out in the community. I was working with an amazing attorney. She was saying, here, connect to this person, connect to that person. Fantastic mentor telling me, you know, call these folks, do these things. And we found people within the community who said, okay, we can come stay. And using the special needs trust, we were able to pay for. How long did it take you to find someone? Um, It took about 24 hours. One of her cousins came and spent the first night with her. And then we were able to find someone within 24 hours through connections through the families of other children with disabilities, adult children with disabilities. Those connections are very valuable. We'll we'll talk about that later, but just being connected to your community helps. Immensely. Yes. And understanding the fear that she had of leaving her home was something that all of these families were also connected to. Mm -hmm. They are very supportive. So we were able to find someone to come stay with her for a week. And then we were able to then connect the family to the community mental health system, find a service provider who could come in and provide staffing support so that we could then switch over to making sure that we were using private and public resources effectively so that she could remain in her home. Ultimately, through the assistance of the attorney that was mentoring me and saying, do this, do that. Ultimately, through connections in the community, we were able to identify two roommates. And she and her roommates were able to live in that home until she passed away. So she never left her home. That's amazing, actually. But the foundation was laid by the parents who established a special needs trust that provided for the ability for us to keep the home. Right. And the blending of public resources, which allowed us to get the access to the support staff that allowed her to stay in the home safely, to the connections in the community to find roommates, to make sure that they could address the cost of living in the home, that we were able to make that happen for as long as it did. I mean, I wouldn't have known what to do. So the fact that you have these resources is really, really nice. One of the things that is most valuable is recognizing that there's no way to do this all alone and recognizing that everyone's path is different. It needs to be person-centered. It needs to be focused on what the individual needs, what the individual wants. But providing supports and services to someone who needs care or assistance to live their lives is an expensive endeavor. So knowing what you can provide and be effective at offsetting So that person can live their life like they're used to living with mom and dad. Right. With the support from the public system for what's available to assist an individual to making sure that it's quality care and quality of life. It's a hard decision. So I'll, I'll share personal stories. I have two special needs brothers. And I remember, and I was married, my husband and I come over and I would wrongly, maybe, I, I will admit, but I would push them to get both my brothers as independent as possible while they were alive and well. I said, because if you're doing everything for them now and then you pass away, I don't think that's a good situation. And I'm thinking more even my own kids that do not have any disabilities and I still have the same goals. I want them to be able to be independent 
and take care of themselves in life. And there's only so much every person can do. So one brother I have, schizophrenic, and he manages quite well. And he ended up moving out while my parents were alive. And he's now married and he lives in a condo and he can take care of himself pretty well. I help him with his money and different things. But I mean, for the most part, everyday life, he manages. And my other brother moved out later too, but he manages quite well too. I think he makes enough money, but I think he's lonely because he's an aphasic. So there's not a lot of people that know how to communicate with him well. But it was very difficult for my parents to let go a little bit. I mean, they just, they knew that was the right thing to do is to try to help them be as independent as they could. But then they're not as severe as maybe some of the clients or customers that you work with at the ARC. I mean, some people can't even get into a car and drive somewhere, for instance. That's just an example. Um, But I think it's very difficult on the parents because they know they take care of things the best. It's hard to let go of that and let someone else take over. I don't know where you draw the limit or start finding help, but maybe as soon as possible so that it's a team that's helping you instead of you doing everything by yourself, right? I think the most important thing to recognize is that we all have a circle of support. Mm-hmm. We all have a group of people who helps us do things, no matter what our ability levels are. Some of those people in our lives are paid to be there. Some of the people in our lives aren't paid. They're our family. They're our friends. When we talk about supporting people who have to live their life differently, it's no different. It's the support level that may be different. And sometimes living with our loved one, we think they need one thing. But once they move out, we recognize, oh, maybe that's what we needed, not what they needed. Good point. So if we can help coordinate that transition while we're here, we can be available to assist with things like ineffective or difficult communication making sure that our loved ones are receiving the level of support that we think is appropriate, making sure that the people around them are caring people, making sure that it's the right fit. It doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen magically. Anytime you talk about supporting someone who would is going to share their lives with roommates or with staff people, you're almost talking about marriage. Because oh, yeah. Because those individuals are moving into a situation where they have to learn to live together and they have to learn to live with one another and support one another. And sometimes it doesn't work. I I mean, I I can lighten the mood a little because my brother lived with someone that was schizophrenic. He was in Section 8 housing. And I'm like, wow, that that must have been a treat. (laughs) You know, and we'd, we'd laugh about the stories he told me because they just had two different mindsets about things and they managed. But I mean, think about that. It's just a different It could be very difficult. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when people move in with one another, not sometimes, a lot of times, think about marriage in and of itself. You're marrying someone else's family, and the families don't get along. Yeah, yeah. So when you're talking about what does the arrangement look like as you move forward, it's a partnership, and you have to recognize that there are more than two people in most partnerships, regardless Correct. of the definition, <laughs> right? Yeah. So... Talking about how we can support someone who wants to live separately from their families or will eventually need to live separately from their families because at some point we won't be there. Mm -hmm. How do we do it? How do we make it happen? How do we make it happen in a way that's about our loved one, in a way that's affordable to them, in a way that feels safe and good to them, and in a way that they're choosing with family support 
is imperative because ultimately to make an arrangement successful or to be feeling successful with our plan for what happens after we're gone, knowing that our loved ones are safe and have a place to live where those goals or objectives are met is imperative. And there is not a magic wand that makes it happen simply because we want it to. I have a situation, you know, in COVID, COVID brought us to our knees in some ways because it taught us that that planning has to happen sometimes when we're not ready for it or that we didn't think we would need it. Yeah. I, we had talked earlier about a case where I had a situation where a parent who was living codependently with their adult child, financially, they were a little bit more on the rocks than maybe others. And they were dependent on one another's income to live. And then the situation was two people, right? Just two people, okay. just two people. And unfortunately, the parent needed some medical care and didn't know what to do. So his son went on the bus and went to school and dad went in for his medical care. And when the school bus came to drop his son off, he wasn't there. And this was in the middle of COVID. And this individual then, you know, that generates a lot of activity in the police department, at the mental health system and at the school. And at the time, with COVID actively in place, group homes were closed to referrals. Oh, geez. So this individual was taken to the local hospital because that was the only answer they had. And he was admitted to the emergency room and ended up staying at the emergency room where he contracted COVID. And despite best efforts to move him, he ended up contracting COVID and passing away. 28-year-old kid. Just because he couldn't get someone to pick him up from the bus. And there was no extended family. And dad had his health care needs. And there were no open group homes. And the emergency rooms were full. And there was no plan. There was no contingency plan. What if something happens to me? There's the lesson right there um, in this whole conversation is get a community to support you, support each other, have a plan. What happens if you're not around for whatever reason? You could get in a car accident. I mean, it's just something as simple as that. It's not, it's unfortunate, but a lot of people will talk to me and it's like when they die, but accidents happen. I mean, things can happen suddenly and you should probably prepare some things right now. Worrying about passing away is an amorphous concept mm-hmm. unless you have an illness. People tend to think, well, I always have time for that. Uh huh. They do. I have time do. to do that. And, you know, in my world where we support people who have children who learn differently or adults who learn differently, there's that really very big concern about not making challenges for our other adult children making sure that all the pieces are in place for our loved one, but recognizing or understanding or feeling that no one's going to do it like we do when we're gone. It's true. And so how do we put all those pieces together? And it's when we talk about providing supports and services to folks, and we talk about doing estate planning, or we talk about how do we find a way for this person to live when we're not here, we're not just talking about an estate plan. We're talking about a community or, or a level of support or services that we have to connect using different people, using different agencies, using different benefits. And it's always been somewhat fascinating to me 
how we deliver services in this state is that we have three or four different three-letter agencies providing three or four different types of services. And we're expecting parents and families to understand what does the Social Security Administration provide? What does the Department of Health and Human Services provide? What does community mental health provide? What do I need to provide? What's very confusing, to be honest, and when I get families to talk with me, it's very confusing. I have to say, there's just a lot of resources out there, but they don't know where to get started. Another piece to all of this is when we're developing a plan for our loved one, a lot of times we forget as parents that when we started this journey and our child was diagnosed, we learned along the way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If we had a child with Down syndrome, our diagnosis came at birth and we had time to figure out what that meant to us. And then we had the ability to look at what does the school deliver? And then we learned how to deliver services in the school system because we had no choice Mm -hmm. because we had to learn how to get an education for our loved one. And then as our loved one aged and they got closer to 18, we had to learn what services were available at 18 and how did it change because they're no longer a child. And then we had to learn, oh, now they're 18 and they're getting benefits. When do they finish school? And after they get benefits, do we need a substituted decision-making document or a guardianship? And then we needed to figure out how to make sure the medical system was still moving along with us. And we learned that along the way. And as parents, we just did it. Yep. We did it because that's what our child needed. And then something happens to us and their siblings have to figure it out. And their siblings knew all this was going on, but they weren't learning at the same time mom and dad were. Correct. So now we're throwing snowballs at them. Mm -hmm. No, no, it's not snowballs, boulders. Oh, geez. And we're saying, figure out social security, figure out mental health services, figure out a Medicaid, figure out how to do housing, figure out how to take care of your sister or brother. Or if they're not blessed to have a family member, that person might not have a plan. And we're saying, somebody figure this out. And if the parents maybe would have written down at least a basic template of the living conditions, Medicare, et cetera, Medicaid, it would have been helpful. At least they would have some type of template of this is where everything's coming from, right? A starting point. And even if they had it written down, it can still be a challenge. Or, or a disability that came suddenly. So yes. it didn't come with childhood and all that experience. It just suddenly happens and you have to punt, right? Car accident, mm-hmm. a stro- unexpected stroke, a mental health issue that develops as an adult. Yeah, my brother's developed in uh, middle to high school and adolescence. So, so it's a whole different... Uh, different dynamic. Know, yeah, different dynamic. That's a great way of saying it. So all the preparation in the world that you can do can not matter. So what's the best thing you can do? The best you can with the information that you have at the time that you got it. True. To make sure that all the pieces that you can control or you can put in place are in place so that ultimately whoever is responsible for managing has a foundation and they can reach out to the folks that you learned from. They can reach out to the folks that your loved ones already connected to so that they can continue to manage the situation in the best way for that individual. It's exhausting, though, when I even think about it. It must be very exhausting to have just 
all these extra things you have to do. And you do it, it doesn't end sometimes at age 18. It keeps going well into adulthood, and that's just the way it is. I mean... I think that most of the families I work with would agree with that assessment. It's exhausting and worrisome. There's always that fear that it's not going to be what we hope it would be for our loved ones. But again, pre-planning, planning as much as you can, putting as much in place, remembering that situations are dynamic. They're never static. People are never static. They're dynamic. Things change all the time. They do. And how do you readdress it, relook at that plan, revisit, make sure... People that are unaware and don't realize maybe someone you're talking to at um, an event, a party, social, you know, I'm just reaching out to say, don't judge too quickly. There's a lot of things going on with people that you have no idea. And that's the one thing I've noticed is someone said, well, you know, let's do a simple one. Someone's very, very introverted. It wears them down, all of this social interaction, and they have to leave the room. And I remember as a child... My mom and dad had a bunch of people over, and we had six kids in a thousand square foot home. So it's always crowded, people around. And I remember walking around the house, and there's a man in, um, I think, one of our bedrooms just sitting reading a book. I looked in there, and I looked at my mom, and I said, is everything okay? And she said, he just has had enough of the party, and he needs to sit separate. And it's my girlfriend's husband, and he just wanted to sit there and relax. And that's all she said. She goes, it's fine. Let's move on. But, you know, you learn at an early age how to handle different situations. And I'm going to say in my lifetime, I see a lot of people, they don't know how to handle the different situations. They think, oh, they can go ahead and do this. No, they can't. You don't know what someone's capable of doing or not doing. And so sometimes putting in the help beforehand or sometimes giving people who they can reach out to when the situation occurs is the information that we can provide that can give safety and comfort. Mm -hmm. So it's imperative that we kind of do that. Hey, what does it look like if we can't be the ones to say, hey, take your break? Mm -hmm. Hey, it's okay that they're taking a break. Let's go over here. And give people a heads up even. And I I know a lot of families that have kids with um, just different needs. And my husband and I coached soccer at one time and different things. And they'll come up to you and say, hey, this is what's going on and this is what we can do. And it's just educating the people around you about your situation too, I guess. So I guess I'm speaking on both sides. One is speak up and tell people the situation so that you have a better experience, right? And the people receiving it, trust that they know what they're talking about, (laughs) right? Correct. Yeah. Don't judge because you don't know. You have no clue. No. No clue. Um, I know we spoke of a story and we were talking about money and people's perception of money. You had a neighbor that knows what you do for a living. And every day you're working with these families. And I think they went through a divorce. They did. And the husband lived on your block, but the other person did not. But you and I talked about this. You're the executive director. You run the ARC. It's a big organization. And I run a company. And the reason I'm segueing is it does have to do with money and perception. You know, they're like, you've got the life, <laughs> right? You've got the life. You come home. Um, how can you feel good about that? And I might be saying it wrong because every day you're spending with people that don't have enough. They're having a hard time. And um, it was just interesting to me. And to me, that was a silly question that they asked you because to me, 
every day you're spending doing work. Yes, you get paid for it, but you're an expert. I don't have an issue that you get paid to do what you do. I, I really don't. I don't have an issue paying any expert for helping me get to where I need to go. But it's funny, the perception is you shouldn't make money because you're helping People. at a nonprofit. Yeah, the perception being that isn't it hard to be living in a situation that might be nicer or more rich, mm -hmm. for lack of a better word, yeah. than the people that you're serving mm -hmm. or helping every day. Because right. right. they're struggling every day to make ends meet. Don't you feel bad that you're not? And my response was, well, you don't know that I'm not. <laughs> That's <laughs> because true. You're, looking, you're on the outside looking in. You have no clue what happens behind closed doors. But the follow-up was, I do... And I'm healthy and I'm able to do what I do because I can go home and say, okay, deep breath. Yeah. Tomorrow's another day. There's another challenge. There's another something coming my way. How do we address it? We have a saying at the ARC that no day is ever the same. <laughs> and if it's normal, it's not here. There's not anything really normal. We laughed yesterday we had two kittens in the office and I said, we can take care of 300 people, but we lost a kitten. <laughs> we couldn't find a kitten. Oh my God. You know, we we're busy. We take care of people every day and caretaking for people is tough. Oh yeah. It's hard. And it's one of the challenges that families face is that idea that their loved ones are going to be responsible or caretaking for their individual who has special needs, whether it's caused by a traumatic brain injury whether it's caused by a developmental disability or a physical disability, parents, families worry about how that will impact the caretakers and the individuals. No one wants to feel they're a burden and no one wants to be burdened. So how do we balance that? And so understanding that when you're planning, part of what you're trying to do is to provide the financial ability for people to look for the experts to provide the support that they need, whether it's investments, taxes, making sure that the house payment's made, making sure that they are still able to be part of their loved one's life without being responsible for all the minutiae so that they don't lose the ability to be a sibling who cares or loves their family member. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm because they feel burdened by the prospect. And adding to that, the reason I brought up the money, because my brain works finances, is when you need help and you're hiring a professional, it's okay that they're making money to help you. It's not a horrible thing. If there's a disability in your family and you need assistance, you're entitled to that assistance. You're not taking something from somebody. And I think some people tend to judge that because they don't really know what they're going through. And so that's why I brought up the money or the emotion of the money, because money's all about your emotions and what you think about it. But believe me, these families aren't living high off the hog. They're trying their best to get the care needed for their loved one. And that's why I brought up money, just to let you know. I brought it up because every situation's different. You don't know what's behind closed doors. And um, I think that people come from different places with money and they tend to make judgments, unfortunately. One of the things we didn't really talk about before we sat down was when you talk about providing support services mm -hmm. to individuals who learn differently, those support services are usually delivered 
by someone else. Mm -hmm. And there's two costs to this. There's the cost to the family for providing the service or getting the service. And then there's the pay that the direct support professional needs to receive. Correct. And one of the things that's really important to recognize is that in our scenario where we're supporting the idea that families need to plan, there's a group of people that provide staffing support called direct support professionals. Those direct support professionals right now are living at poverty level because the value that the system gives to the service is very low. So folks who are working as certified nurse assistants in nursing homes, direct support professionals in group homes or in individual supportive living arrangements, people who are doing this very, very important work of staffing people who need help to live their lives, whether it's 24 hours a day or a couple of hours a day, just to make sure that they can get out and get their groceries and take care of their needs, whether they're a person with a developmental disability or a senior are being paid lower than living wage throughout the state of Michigan. Wow. What's important to recognize about that is that a person who wants to be part of this field and wants to help you care for your loved one isn't making enough to make their ends meet. So it's hard to maybe get enough quality people to do that type of work because people work to make enough money to support themselves. And if they can't support themselves with that work, you're not going to attract well, or as you many get, people as you would wish to, I, I would guess, you're not attracting enough people or the right people. Or you get quality people who have to work two, three, four jobs to provide what they need for their own families. And they're amazing and you want to keep them employed, but they can't make the money that they need to make to improve their lives. Because that's really what we're all trying to do. We're all trying to make the best life we can for ourselves, for our loved ones, Mm -hmm. and for our future. So when we're talking about providing additional supports and services to folks, we got to remember those really important people out there who are working for less than what a living wage would be considered throughout most of the state. This is a big issue legislatively. We've been pushing for a long time to get additional funding for that help and that support. Because... When you think about staffing support and just breaking this down a little bit, if it costs me as an employer $25 to pay an employee in order for them to make a living wage, to pay all the taxes that are involved, and to cover the business overhead, and I'm being compensated at $18 an hour, there's already a mess. Right. I'm short. And so... There's one problem or challenge. And then a secondary issue is if you think about someone who needs staffing support whenever they're home, so let's assume someone's home 10 hours a day and they go somewhere else for 14 hours a day, wherever that might be, but it costs $250 for those 10 hours and you do it seven days a week, how much is that to support your loved one? So you're just paying, you're just working to pay to support your loved one. So why bother? Right. So that blending of public and private resources is imperative, but also recognizing that the public system does not appreciate financially the people who provide those very, very, very important needs. Nursing home care for people who can't live in their homes anymore. People who want to live in their own homes and not go to the nursing home. Right. Who might be using the My Choice waiver or some other waiver through the state. Those caregivers are not making sufficient funds to meet ends meet. So 
again, it's another way. And then if you had to privately pay for it, oh, geez. because the state didn't help you. If you think about that $250 a day and that seven days a week, that's what, 1500 a week. So that's $3,000, $6,000 a month that you would have to privately be able to pay if you don't blend those public There's and not rented. a lot of people have an extra six grand a month, just for the record. So when we talk about blending those resources, it's imperative. Yes. Sometimes, I'll, you know, in debates or in intellectual conversations with That's peers it. or friends, and yes. they'll say, you know, it's not cool. They're living off the system. Yes. I hear that a lot, and I just shake my head. Let's break that down. Do you have $6,000 to support your mother in the event that she needs care? And can you do it consistently for an indefinite period of time? Yeah. Drop your job, drop your life, and go take care of her. And pay for someone to help you because we only talked about that being 10 hours a day. Correct. So <laughs> for my friends who think that that's not okay to do, think about it in those terms. Yes. We have a system to deliver services for a reason. And that's because privately, the majority of us cannot afford to do it for an extended period of time. No, thank God you have your services. I'll be honest. That's why I wanted to have you here today is because... I want people to know that they could look up the ARC, ask for resources. I know you might suggest more things, but I actually believe in the groups on Facebook. I belong to a few special needs groups, and they are a great group of people that are willing to help each other. Hey, do you know this or do you know this? Next door, even for just regular neighbors, they're helpful too, believe it or not, because someone will say, hey, do you know someone that could come over and keep an eye on my dad for just four hours because I have to go somewhere? And you wouldn't believe that neighbors actually step up. Um, I can give many examples of that. I won't, but it's kind of cool. I think people do step up when they can for each other. Anything you want to add before we go? Because you've had some good stories. And I'm glad that you've kind of talked to people about what exactly you do with examples, because that's very helpful. I'd just like to say thank you for having me. Encourage folks to reach out to their local ARC if they have need for connection to services or supports. Remember your neighbors, as you mentioned, Facebook pages, um, Instagram, all those places that talk socially about what's out there and available. Make sure you connect. And if you are struggling with finding your local ARC, there is the State ARC of Michigan located in Lansing that you can reach out to and they can refer you to someone who's a little more local to you. And I, I'm going to actually mention your website to everybody just because um, www.arc services.org and it will be right on the we have it listed right on the podcast and then also you can email lisa it's l-i-s-a lisa dot lapine l-e-p-i-n-e at arc services.org o-r-g and if you need the help you can look it up on this podcast you can look her up i'm sure on linkedin and find lisa lapine so thank you for being here with me i appreciate it thank you for having me Thanks for listening to Uncommon Sense. I'm Jill Gleba. For more stories and all the financial knowledge you wish somebody had taught you, you can find my book, Uncommon Sense, at jillgleba.com. If you're looking for a career change and you're not sure where to start, the Resume Rescue can help. Sure, there's no such thing as the perfect fit for everyone, but here at the Resume Rescue, we're on a mission to find the perfect solution for you. 
Whether it's changing careers, updating a resume, learning LinkedIn, or practicing interviewing, we have you covered. Find us online at theresumerescue.com and find all of our contact info in our show notes.